Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One game in the books, two to go, and straight away, the pressure straight back on New South Wales box head. An upset. The Queenslanders strike in game one. Yeah, self-induced pressure though, isn't it? Yeah, I'd agree to some extent. But like we said about uh, in these arenas, in this sort of situation, it's one thing to say someone's a clear lopsided favourite, but at the end of the day, you've got to do the well, simple things. It means thing. Zippo. Yeah, you've got to do the simple things right. There's a game of football to be played, and I think it was pretty clear who was willing to do the dirty work and do the simple things right in game one. Yep. Uh, yeah, 100%. Queensland were far better. Probably stealing a term of yours that you use in particular in a lot of our junior coaching uh, at the free things. They were better defensively. Yeah. They were better, you know, just all the small things in the game. Kick, chase, yardage, pressure, um, turning New South Wales around, their discipline, whether that be with penalties, field position, <laughs> kicking, possession. They were better at all the free things in the game of rugby league. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what won in the game of football. New South Wales didn't respect the ball. We played too many players out of position. Uh, missed too many tackles. The answer is a pineapple, well, it's much. not. No. You're lucky you're catching me tonight, not... The night of the game, because I was... Yeah, well, I can highlight it for the listeners right now. I was living. <laughs> watching it. He was up, he was about, he was borderline like he was in the coach's box. And, yeah, the talk would have been a lot different if we were to record a post-game instantly, as compared to what it is, you know, what is it now? Oh, yeah, I'm over it's it now. Monday, yeah. But, but I was seething after the game, because I've been saying for the last month, six weeks, for anyone that's been listening, we've got Dallian, well, Dallian Player of the Year playing out of position. And everyone can peddle the bullshit. Oh, he's a centre. He's a centre. He's played centre before. He missed the most tackles. He looked totally out of his depth in that position. You can't just flip and flop at the elite level in and out of positions. They are specialist positions. Look at Clint Gutherson. Kurt Capewell, who can't play centre at um, NRL level, struggles at NRL level, just gives him a bath the whole night. So we, we picked two players there out of position. Then at the end of the game, we throw Cody Walker on the field. Yeah, it's like a second fullback kind of role. He's just floating We around. had Tedesco, Gutherson, Whiten, Cleary, Keary, and um, Walker on the field. You've got six playmakers on the field, plus Cook. Seven playmakers. Like it was, there was just too many Cooks on the field. Um, and what not Damian Cooks, too many Cooks is in the, the old adage... Spoil the broth. They they needed a few Indians out there, someone to really ding the ball forward and uh, just look to earn the right, get a quick play of the ball and play nice and direct on, on Queensland. And it was funny that, you know, it seemed to be the turning point for Queensland was Wayne Bennett at halftime just saying, boy, straighten up. Yeah. Play straight. Even the halves. Their halves didn't overcomplicate. They didn't run a lot of shapes. So frustrating. They didn't do a whole lot. Friend did exactly what we expected him to do. He dished and he held the middle together. Munster and... Cherry Evans both went over 100 metres. So yeah. they basically just ran got the, the footy, ran first. They kicked well. Probably the one thing that surprised me, Munster controlled the majority of the kicking and actually kicked very well. He did kick he well. He kicked yeah. very well. Um, they did a good job, like we said, in yardage. Semi, you know, it wasn't overly spectacular, nor was Coates, but they did their job. They didn't make errors. 
Uh, and like you said, the, the two places we kind of got pinpricked were at both our centre spots. I saw, again, we talk about stats a million times and how you can quantify stats if you want to. Some were saying, well, Gaffs had only missed one tackle, but you need to look deeper at it and throwing out the numbers, the two tries. Like, that catch pass, that's bread and butter. Yeah. It's not hard to catch pass for Adokar. And we said, highlight that before the game. If there's one thing he's going to be able to do, because he does it well at fullback, he won't have a problem catch passing. But the work was done on the inside. Our none could have thrown that pass. Majority of people can throw that pass. All right? The one missed tackle, yep, it was the one where he got choke slam, simple one-on-one, but again, specialist thing. What you need to go back and do is watch the quality of the work. So the quality of the yardage carries, forget the meters that you bring up or how many runs he had. There's no question of his effort. It's more exactly what you said. In this specialist role, can he deliver like an elite center? Yep. In game one, yardage carries weren't great. Didn't generate many quick play the balls. Wasn't damaging that area. Defensively, nine times out of 10, he made the tackle, but he was standing. He barely controlled it. He needed assistance. Or when he got to ground, it was sloppy. He had no hip spacing. He didn't dominate really any of the rucks. Or he needed a lot of help from the inside. And he's probably a lot luckier, which is one thing I'm going to say, not to debunk your argument, but I'm going to say Jack had a lot harder time with the edge he was playing on. Because Kieran Cordner certainly did him no favours. Defensively, that whole left edge was a rabble. On the right edge, I thought Frizzell in particular, Cleary, did a lot more favours for Gutherson than what Kieran Cordner did. And We've said for the back end of the season that they look fragile and the fact they're both out of game two, I think, is a positive for New South Wales. Uh, again, if, if I'm going to say one and not going on that same argument, like I said, but I honestly do think Jack can do a job there in the centres. He'll get more help this time, more likely, but you're right. Game one, he was outdone. Should be playing 5-8. He was outdone by a specialist. Gagai got him one-on-one multiple times, got on the outside, beat him one-on-one, stuck the hand in his face. Even the few times I thought he did a good job closing space, he still found a way. To kind of get his way through. So, um, I guess one way to describe game one, like you said, with picking all the specialists and the guys out of positions and extra playmakers was almost a bit of arrogance, somewhat. Yeah. And I'll tell you one thing, real critical to me, just like for the fact that they picked someone like Cody on the bench, which cut you forward short. When Murray blows his hamstring first carry, that hurt. They needed Murray because there was a real flat spot there for a while where we could not get a play the ball. And when we're in that little grind, and Cook was almost just absent from the game when there was no momentum. Murray's the perfect guy to get you play the ball. Mm. Um, and he literally yeah, didn't get past his first carry. But the first half, like you said, story of that was just lack of discipline. They opened Queensland up. They rolled forward quite well. Thought Safidi, Paulo's first stints were both pretty good. But they were like three from nine or something like that. They kept dropping the ball, play two, three. They gave Queensland enough football, they didn't know what to do with it. Mm. And, and they looked a bit lost, like you said, and like they were overcomplicating things, trying to run plays, trying to run shape, and it was just sloppy and sideways, very unorganised. The first half, honestly, to me, didn't really feel like an origin game. It felt more like a club game. Yeah, it did. But, you know, late in the half, New South Wales, despite things being quite poor and probably summing it up, was dropping it off the kickoff, uh, find themselves up 10-0. They stripped them on the right. They got Tino kind of caught inside and they worked at Catewell, who's obviously not the quickest bloke. Passed around him. Nice quick ruck, get an offload. Cook goes straight through. And at 10 0 the way they played in the first half, you thought they'd been terrible. If they go on with this, this could be a cricket score. And mm. if anything, New South Wales left points on the table. They bombed opportunities inside 20. Um, and I think more to the point, like you said, the one time they did sort of just push forward, play through the middle is when they got those tries. <clears throat> Cook got that opportunity to jump out. Tedesco was just pushed around the ball. The halves sort of worked okay together. But it just all of a sudden went sideline to sideline. If they weren't earning a play of the ball, they were still shifting off it. Both halves seemed to be trying to share that role instead of someone 
steer the ship and get us around the field and then set up shapes. And probably the most disappointing thing of all, I know we scored a few times down the right-hand side, but we literally got no quality ball at all to that left-hand edge. None. Anytime Jack was given the ball, it was on the out, off a slow play of the ball, going sideways. He was used as a play one man off the scrums. They barely ran like any sort of shape where they had a lead or the man at the back. Like, it was very, very disorganized. There was no yeah. sort of control from anyone in the spine for the most part of the game. No, nah, just too many errors, too many drop balls, too much sideways footy, too many halves and fullbacks on the field. Not enough players are just going to run, yeah. get tackled, and earn the right to play footy. We And look, Queensland were outstanding. They deserved to win. I 100%. thought the refereeing at the end of the game was shite. The refereeing for most of the night was shite. He got uh, the gig again too. Unbelievable. I, I've got no idea how he keeps row, getting a job. It's fucking disgusting uh, the way that the game's refereed. But he, the, the Queenslanders were just unbelievable. Yeah. And they, they, but nothing they did shocked me. I, I walked no, away from the game going, simple. okay. Yeah, they, they threw nothing up that I did not expect. But as usual, New South Wales, and you know, I wrote a column on, on this about four weeks ago, you need to learn how not to lose before you can win. Yeah. And New South Wales just do everything in our power to lose before we even get on the field. We, we pick players out of position, right? We pick players who haven't played in six weeks. We leave great, the best centre in the game on form is Stephen Crichton. He can't make the side. We pick two fucking centres that aren't centres. We pick a lock forward who can't make a tackle over the ball. Who just tackles under the ball and just gives away ruck speed well, this was another every day of the oh, week. I saw a lot of people. Saifidi, like, he's okay, but he wouldn't bruise an apple. Like, he gets through his work, but he's not hes not an intimidator. I thought Paulo really bent the line back a little. Even Payne Haas. Yeah. He, he was ordinary. That was the one. He and was he, ordinary. He I thought him and, yeah, well, yeah, I, I, he had to do something. Freddie had to do something to, with his uh, middles to sort of try and change up. Um, I guess change up their impact. I'd be grabbing Sa- is Saifidi on the bench, is he? No, he's starting. Okay. I, I, see, I would have I pulled Saifidi off, sat him on the bench and said, mate, when you go on, I just want you to go crazy. I think Daniel Saifidi's issue is that he's he's been asked to play too many minutes and he's holding back a little bit, trying to be that worker. Well, I mean, That's not his strength. He's such a big, dominant, physical player. This time around, we've picked four forwards. So yeah. we can do that. I understand that, but they need to shorten his minutes up and ask him to go a little bit batshit crazy. This goes back to the point we've made before, though. With it, when you've got people that aren't club coaching or running a certain arena, I'm sure they've oh, got... But, but, he, but he, he left both our middles out there for the first 30 minutes and brought them both off at the same time. Hmm. Anyway, I, I don't know. I, I digress. And look, I'm not Brad Fittler. I've never coached at that level before in my life, but I, some of the staff are just uh, head-scratching and frustrating and... I don't know. I don't know. I could be totally off the mark. I, but watching the game, it was unbearable from, from my perspective. Like How Isaiah Yeo doesn't get a run, I've, I've got no clue. Yeah. Well, Isaiah Yeo and, and Stephen Crichton would have been the first two players I'd pick. Hmm. I wouldn't have picked Kiri. I said that the whole way along. You can't have Kiri and Cleary. They're both small. And they're both very similar players. We need a big 5'8". The years <laughs> when we've had success as a state, we've had a big 5'8". A big Strong ball running five eight. We've got the fucking Dalian player of the year, Dalian five eight of the year, the probably the most dominant ball runner in the competition, and we stick him at centre and ask him to carry the ball from dummy half. It's fucking ridiculous. 
Mm. And we used him yeah, to play one. Goes, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, 20 carries. Okay, but they're all ineffective. They're all from dummy half. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it's, it's how you utilise him. And he they, should be playing on the back of the quick play the ball that we're trying to get from Safidi or Paul Haas, and they weren't laying that either. Anyway, yeah, I, yeah. I just hope that it's it's a different mentality from the Blues this week. It's got to just be, boys, play straight. Minimise the passing. I, pass the ball once you've earned the right to pass the ball. I don't know why we didn't kind of stick with that because it's what's won us the series the last two years. We've won the middle and we've rolled and Cook has looked outstanding and Teddy's been attached to his hip and... Generally, off the back of the damage we've done, punching two or three holes in the ruck, then we've shifted off that and been successful. Yeah, well, I also think the refereeing had something to do with that. I, I thought the refereeing was diabolical. They were both teams were allowed to lay on. The ten wasn't real big; like it didn't really allow the game to flow. Um, I thought New South Wales didn't really get many uh, repeat sets. I, I don't know. I, I think the grand final was similar to this as well. And probably the two preliminary finals, and now it's rolled into Origin, where we've made all these changes to make the game try and flow and make it exciting, and we've just allowed WrestleMania back into the game once the referees' bum holes go a little bit tight when the pressure's on. That's my opinion. I think the pressure's got to the referees a little bit. They don't want to blow penalties. Uh, they don't want to, you know, they've got a quota in their head of how many they want to give. I think if they just set the standard of the game early. Keep the two teams apart and let the players decide. Don't let it be a tactical or a WrestleMania. Like we, we have lauded the game and applauded the game for making all these positive changes, but it seems now in these big, elite, pressurised games that we just allow the same old, same old to come back into it. Anyway, that's my rant. Mm. And look, that was about 1% of what it would have been if it was 11 o'clock on Wednesday night because yeah. I was fucking fuming. Well, finishing up second half, you would have expected them to get back to what they were doing play straight, be more direct, get into the grind, cycle, and it ended up being the complete opposite. We watched Queensland come out, strip back their game, get rid of all the bullshit and the structure which wasn't working for them, and do exactly what we said before. Just yeah. do the free things right. They got to their sets. They were good in yardage. They kicked very well. They turned us around, and it almost just felt like for 20 minutes there we couldn't find a person to get us out of that rut or to break it or get us a quick play of the ball or get an offload. And the pressure finally told when Tupo throws that ball at his ass. Um, Munster picks it up. They go score a try. The one-on-one miss from the repeated pressure and just feel like we're on a treadmill going backwards and struggling to get a yardage. They catch Jack out and Gagai was outstanding again whenever he puts on a maroon jersey. He just becomes a freak. Set up that try. Um, and they just held on from there. We picked them right at the death there when Kate had a busted groin and shifted around him, but it was too little too late. And why I don't agree with the eight-man pile that got on at the last play of the ball. For a lot of people that blew up and said, that's the reason New South Wales lost the game, you need to have a look in the mirror. We lost the game because we were fucking diabolical. If you don't respect the football, if you're not willing to get dirty, if you're not willing to do those free things or the simple things in, in the game, you're not going to win. And then like this week, you know, just, yeah, when, when I saw the changes, I was like, yeah, okay, there's some positives there. We're heading in the right direction, but... Your biggest issue again, and I'm, I'm I'm still confident they'll get the result. But the one biggest issue you would have said exactly what you did was the two centre spots, and we've gone straight back there. And then there was an argument on the flip side that oh well, would you want to debut two brand new guys now rather than two veterans? Well, it's like okay, Gutherson's more of a veteran of the NRL, but he's a rookie in the rep arena. A veteran. It's his first game. Jack's played Origin there, and they've won a series. Yep. So for him, I'm not as worried. But if you're going to at least change one of them, I would have not given Gutherson a second opportunity at centre. If you're going to stick with Jack, yeah, fair enough. But 
if vice versa, if it found a way to get Crichton in, who's actually been ruled out of the squad today, I would have been more inclined to have put Crichton on his natural left-hand side, put Jack over to the right, if you're going to get one of them out. And or, like you said, if you want to get a full-blind specialist, I would have had Cody Walker out of the squad completely, gone with Lomax and Crichton left and right centres, as they should be, um, and played Whiten in the halves of Cleary. Mm. But, That's all we've done. Yeah. They've shored up one thing there. You've got a bench full of forwards this time. I think that's probably a smarter idea. Try and beef up your rotation there. You've obviously got, realistically, three straight-up middles. Paulo brings more of a spark and an offload. You've got Dale Finucane, good footwork, good worker, has a pass in his game. Yo, similar deal, footwork, pass in his game. He's the versatile one, I guess, you've got from the bench that can play middle, edge, centre if you get really, really desperate. Um, they've got Crichton starting now with Cordner ruling himself out for the rest of the series after the head knocks. And then you've got Nathan Brown, which is something we definitely missed in game Oh, one. man. We need a psycho. <clears throat> yep. I'm actually <clears throat> honestly going to be similar to you, and we saw it on the night. I looked at, like, Haas and thought, I'd probably prefer Brown and RCG. They're not bruising anyone. I would have picked RCG. Just need a bit of crazy <clears throat> in our team. Yeah. We lacked a bit of, yeah, just fucking nutbag, in all honesty. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the flip side, you don't like the names of Collins and these sorts of guys, but they come and do the job. They got through their work. Chopped up the middle. Yep. Tino and Papali more than held their own at the start of the game. Friend did his job. Um, like we said, the edges. And if anything, on the Queensland side, the changes for this game, I think their team got better. I think the only thing that they've lost out is not having AJ at one, which is a big loss. He, he didn't find a lot of ways to get into the game because, like you said, it was a bit slow and they probably weren't set up to maximise his skill set. But the one opportunity or the few opportunities he got to inject himself into the game, he did. Yeah. He chased that kick. He was around the football. But as far as Sewer replacing... Hess, like I couldn't believe Hess was getting a start in the first place, and it barely lasted 25 minutes. He was dr- pulled out of the side, and he's been dropped altogether. Sewer coming into the right immediately takes away any issue you kind of have with them defensively on that edge. He tightens things up. He's more aggressive. You know he's going to ping the half or not. He's going to hammer his teammate Cody Walker. He's going to get at his inside shoulder, and if you run at him, you're going to get jacked. So I think they're better defensively with him being in. That flipped Felice to the opposite side of the field to what he usually plays, but left-hand side, again, makes them better. Takes him away from being next to Munster, Hess, that is, which strengthens up both sides of the field for the Queenslanders defensively. Mm. Um, and they've got a relationship with the Storm. He got more football the other night, I thought, running off Munster than what he's done the last probably two or three years playing outside constructed halfbacks on the right edge of Melbourne. And why Holmes probably doesn't bring the spark and the X-factor of what a Brimson does, given what they did well in game one and the way their team's going to have to play to win game two, Holmes brings a good carry. He does. Helps their back three, makes him stronger there. I'm sure he'll push around the football. He hasn't had the greatest of years, so if anything, he's got a point to prove, getting this opportunity to play one. Yep. A lot of people question, would they play Allen, given he played so well for Souths and had a relationship with Bennett? If you were going to reshuffle another way, could you have put Hunt in the halves, put Munster back there? Like Going off game one and what they've got there, you don't want to mess with it too much. I know people can reach for things and say Munster's good there when he floats and this, that, and the other, but... The balance of this side, you wanted to tinker with it, as far as I'm concerned, the least amount possible. Well, yeah, you don't change a winning side. Yeah. I think the only real change we may see again late for them is Catewell's working his way through the week with a groin issue. If he's out, they've been training Phillips semi at left centre and they've had Edric training on the right wing. So it doesn't look like Branko Lee's going to come back in and push, say, to that right side where he played for Melbourne after Gagai's success with Coates. They look like they're going to leave that alone. So if Catewell does end up being pulled out of the game, it's more than likely Samuel will shift one spot in and Edric Lee's going to get a debut outside him. There you go. So, and the other one on the bench, the one who came into the bench when Sewer pushed in, Fox Waker, who I thought should have played game one. 
Hmm. So again, Fatuaka, Arrow, Collins, Hunt. A bench full of majority of middles. If they have to reshuffle in any way during the game, Tino's probably a guy that can push out from the middle to one of the back row spots or vice versa. They have to push Sewer or Felice to defend a center spot if they got really desperate. Um, and they got Hunt there to cover halves, hooker, utility. And he more than did his job when he came on. Yep. Brought a bit of spark, manipulated the right, kicked well. So, yeah, I actually think they got better for game two. But AJ. Yeah. Um, and they, they're going to get better because they're going to, they've built confidence. They've got another week, yeah. But more particularly, those and two. As you said, they've sharpened their side up a little bit. Yeah, those two back row changes for me make their edges a lot better, which mm. is where I thought we were going to have a bit of juice to get them. So, it's going to be a harder task. New South Wales, like we said. Minimal changes, most of them four, similar for them. So Welch, obviously, was due to the head knock. Hess was due to form. New South Wales side of things. Two more debutantes, mm-hmm. uh, Lomax and Crichton were obviously... Lomax wasn't named originally. Crichton's ruled out. Lomax is now in for his spot in the squad, but unlikely to get himself put in. Kiri was dropped. Had a bit of an arm injury early. Looked fragile at the back end of the year for New South Wales. Not the greatest night. He, he was dangerous a few times when he ran, but... It, you know, defensively and all around, I think it was just wasn't a great night for either of the Roosters boys. Corden has ruled himself out. Smart move. Just honestly, <laughs> given the year he's had and the situation that happened with his cousin as well, I'd, and getting another head knock. Yeah, there's a lot to consider there. I'm not in the camp of a lot of people that are calling for him to retire. There's smarter people than me, doctors, the club, everyone who's involved. Not smarter people. It's just um, more educated in yeah, terms well, that's of my point, that. Like, like, they're, they're specialists in that area. We, we see the knock. We see the knocks, but we don't know the extent. We don't know what he's being told. We don't know. I think it was Paul Kent after the game. Uh, I flicked onto Fox after you and um, your partner left. I um, I flicked onto Fox and Paul Kent said something boxing related. He sort of said, you know, the concerning thing is is how little impact it takes to for him to get a concussion. What did you and do? I didn't understand that. So the next day I did a little bit of digging and looked at some research and looked at some um, scholarly articles and there is a lot of evidence to suggest that when there is damage to the brain... Mm. It takes less. That it takes less impact for there to be a concussion or that for there to be... Um, I guess to be dazed or have that head knock effect with less and less contact. Mm. Uh, and physiologically, I'm not quite sure of what the what the reason is, but um, I, I came across a lot of that. Like the, the medical research suggests that. So I guess that's why... And Peter Volandes, I think, came out the next day and said, look, we're going to do an investigation into it and have a look at it. I think the disappointing part is that as a game, we didn't have a mechanism there to stop New South Wales from putting him on. The thing putting is, him though, back on. they would have and stuck look, with the normal routine. I understand all that. I understand all did, that stuff. So. I understand that stuff. But I think this is the one occasion where I think everyone watching the game would have thought, like, how in the hell are we putting him back on the field? So... Yeah, I, I agree. If, but if it wasn't... From a welfare perspective, I'm we... not talking about the protocol. Like, yeah. New South Wales did nothing wrong in no, terms of the protocol. that's probably what I'm highlighting. But, that, but I'm not, that's not what yeah. I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is that I think in this instance, it's the first time I've really thought there's no way he should be going back on the field. Mm. Even if the protocol was executed correctly. I just think from a welfare perspective, and you you could see Boyd Cordner in the press conference, he looked... I don't know whether he was... He was obviously deflated from losing, but 
he just hasn't looked himself for probably six weeks. No. I think the knock that he took in that Storm game... He got rattled. ...was really, really, really heavy, him. and it's it's taken a huge toll on him. Hmm. I think I think we've got to move to a system and where if you have two really significant head knocks in a season, that should be the end. The NFL does it, uh, and, and look, there have, have similar avenues and... I guess they're pouring money into research in terms of brain injury, concussion, and the effects of and the right protocols. And they, they're on a system, aren't they, where if you have two in a season, you're out? I think college is the two in the season. The NFL, I don't think, is at that point yet. They should be. But they've got a concussion protocol similar where there's five steps to be cleared. And for the most part, most people that enter the concussion protocol generally never pass it in one week like ours do, even if they pass the test doesn't matter about passing a test or return to a game. As soon as you've had a concussion, mm. you enter the protocol. There's five steps to work through, and for the most part, you don't yeah, often I, see I people I also want to make it very clear that I level. think the systems we've got in place are What's, what we consider best practice yeah, at the moment. at the moment. So I'm not criticising anyone. No. It's not a criticism. But I, I just... I didn't feel... It didn't sit well with me when he went back on the field. Well, I'll tell you where it's getting to for me. And you're talking about the knock when we watched the replay was very innocuous. He copped a little bit of like... And that was Paul Kent's point. The, the lower back and the hip. It reminded me of, and I saw someone reference it a couple of weeks ago, and I actually think he might have penned an article himself. Liam Fulton at the back end. One of the last knocks he had in a game, he barely got grazed on the chin and he looked like he dead set had been right hooked by Mike Tyson. And he just fell over. And you watched the replay and you were kind of just dumbfounded as to, you know, maybe that many knocks or the point you get to where it just takes something so simple to just knock you into another world. Yeah. But, you know, there's some reports coming out, obviously, internally, and this is what the media does and this is what everybody does, that, you know, people are asking him to have six to 12 months off, but he'll talk to the club, he'll talk to the doctors, what, what best case is, if he has the time off and wants to continue playing... Um, you know, can the Roosters get relief for 12 months if he's out? Like, I don't know how that situation looks. If he doesn't want to retire, but he needs to have an extended period out. And if they'd consider that um, from the Roosters, if they wanted to treat it in such a manner. To me, I don't see the big deal. If it's not part of the... If he's not playing at all and he's gone for 12 months and they're paying him separately, that's the club's prerogative. And it's not part of the salary cap. And if they brought somebody in or paid somebody else, some would say maybe that's unfair that they get to pay him and then maybe get the option to go back into the market and look at somebody else. But I guess the view would be to him returning in 12 months if all was well. But I don't know, again, it's an unprecedented situation where somebody's had that many knocks where they potentially might have time off with a view to return to play just to give their brain the time to recover from repeated traumas. Mm-hmm. But it's not an ideal situation. Um, and yeah, it was quite an innocuous knock, so... Jumping into New South Wales, though, uh, the only real change in the middle is Haas obviously gets that start. Paulo goes back to the bench. So, obviously, Haas, as we know, more of a worker, not so much an impact player. Paulo definitely, I think, will bring a bit more from the bench. Or Safidi, either Ryla, if they went that way. Still of the opinion, like you on the night, we could have used two crazies. Brown's definitely the one we need, more than anyone, I think, as far as the spark. But I think Campbell Gillard brings a lot more crazy than Haas does. Um, the middle, basically, yeah, stays the same. Left-hand edge is completely reconstructed. Now that Kiri and Cordner are out of the side, you've got Crichton coming in who, again, like we said, last eight to ten weeks was outstanding for the Roosters. He starts. Cody Walker is now inside him. So they've gone back to the combination they tried for game one last year and chopped and changed. And on the right-hand side of the field, exactly the same. Cleary, Frizzell, Gutherson, Adokar, Tedesco, captain, and at the back, 
thought game one, like he had a few simple drops, but he was busy. Mm. He certainly tried, but again, I think <clears throat> we're in a, an awkward situation because for me as a coach and to you, and I said this to him tonight, I don't know if you would agree or not, if he's racing the clock with his knee, if Pappenhausen's available, I just tell him you be ready for game two. I just would have picked Pappenhausen. Yeah, I agree. Um, and again, speaks to the point that if they really, really were that concerned, I thought they would have gone with another fullback just for that game and rested him. And we've ended up losing. He's played. He's had kilometres in his legs. Uh, it doesn't concern me for game two, but it's not an ideal situation after the result of game one and the way things have panned out. But I guess looking at the changes there, do you think that left-hand edge shores anything up? Will there be a better balance between the halves? Do we think Cody Walker is you know well, going to you. work in a bit better with Nathan? Is it going to be Nathan's team to run and set things up more for that left-hand side? Like A lot of people were talking that him and Kiri kind of are both dominant players or, you know, kind of wanted to steer the ship. I didn't really feel it was that way. I just felt they played their edges and there wasn't a lot of whole communication. And it was two side to side. This time around, I think it has to be the scenario of how they play at Souths. And I think the Cleary role is perfect for Cody Walker. Adam Reynolds does a similar role. He kicks, he controls. I think the biggest difference is, unlike Reynolds, he runs a bit more. Not overly, but Nathan will do a much better job, I think, in this situation, knowing that he's got to kick, control things. And for the most part, the attacking uh, opportunities or what you're setting up for is going to be getting back to that left-hand side. So I definitely expect to see a lot better shape this time or a lot better setup as far as getting that left-hand edge and utilising Crichton, who's in good form, got good footwork, and getting Jack some actual quality ball if you're going to play him at centre because he got none in the first game. Yeah. Absolutely none. Uh, so I think that's an improvement. Cody himself... Compared to Kiri, physically confident uh, without any sort of niggles heading to the back end of the season. Had a really good finish to the year. The prelim, probably not his best game, but at the back end of the game when they were coming after the Panthers, he certainly had a hand in everything. Um, last week, you know, he got himself engaged and had somewhat a bit of an involvement. But, yeah, I, I think also it probably works towards more the favour of what you were talking about as far as playing through the middle. If we get a roll on, Cook jumping out, Cody at club generally plays off his hit. Tedesco and Cook have got that combination the last few years. I'd be hoping to see those three just constantly around the football, pushing around the ball. And Nathan's kicking game has got to be a lot better. He didn't kick that well the other night. No. Just take the pressure off all those yeah, other exactly. guys yeah. to play that spark. The right-hand side... The, um, the jobs, uh, job description is going to be clear. Yeah, 100%. I, I think it's pretty clear how you want things to go, hmm. if we're going to be completely honest. Um, as far as what they're going to test out this time around, I guess the big thing for me right now, they need to do a better job in the middle. Mm-hmm. And the biggest thing I think that hurt that in game one when I thought they did get a bit of punch from Safidi and Paulo to start with is not hold the footy. You give away the ball, and like you said, we push for extra minutes on the back of errors and repeat sets. We kind of burnt the candle at both ends there. Yeah. Like generally, if you've got your middles working their tails off and taking extra tackles and working out of yardage, you probably need to make those changes earlier. If anything, we kind of pushed a little bit too far. They choked up all that extra D. They wondered why they weren't getting much punch. And then as soon as we made an interchange, obviously we had the unfortunate situation where Murray blows his hamstring first tackle. Mm. So it kind of bit us on the arse straight away. Uh, yeah, this time around, that can't be the case. Haas has to be better starting. This can't be the marathon man situation. They've talked about even the season ahead that he's already spoke to Ken Wilders about reducing his minutes to have more of an impact. Well, we need to, we need to fucking see it. There's no time to turn sideways and stand there and struggle, do things at 80%. We need this big, mobile human being to get angry. Because as much ability he's got and he's a physical freak and he's fit as all hell, 
again, we talk about that dog, that ruggedness, that that just that bit of fucking grit that a few of those Queenslanders have, what they lack in talent, they make up for in that grittiness. Lindsay Collins is a perfect example. There's nothing special to what Lindsay Collins does, but he came on, he ripped in, he carried hard, he defended, did his job, and he got off the field. Mm. Sewer comes on, does that. Tino, his carries, Papali's carries. We we just need a bit more dog. We really do. Too many cats. Too many cats. We need more dogs. Uh, no doubt that we're going to get a bit more off the bench this time. Finucane, no nonsense. Brown's definitely no nonsense. I can't wait until they unleash that psycho. That's definitely going to explode, I reckon. Powder keg store. Pull off the bench. as uh, Starting or bench, either way, I'm happy. I think that's a really, really good combination to have there. And then you've got Yo. Yo, again, tired, back end of the half, get him on. Him and Brown, good footwork, gets his pass. And then I guess you've got a bit more cover in that situation as well. But... um. Yeah, I guess if Catewell's playing that right-hand side, Gutherson needs to be better, but they need to get it at Catewell if they end up playing. Get to him early. Try and test out that groin. He's going to have more help, like we said, with Felice plugging in that hole on the outside there. But if they go the complete alternate where it's got Sammy and Edric Lee playing on that edge, they definitely need to test that as well. Just purely for the fact that yeah. game two, you've got a completely new edge combination. Dunamis Louie, uh, probably forgot to mention before, on debut, very underrated. Does a hell of a job for Canberra. I think the biggest thing, probably to his credit in this situation, unheralded in multiple situations where there's games where it's like, oh, this person's out, he's starting. And then he has a blinder like he did when the Roosters played the Raiders early in the year and they weren't supposed to win. Or the back end of the season when they rested all their players and people were like, oh, the Sharks, we beat him and he had an absolute pearler. He had a couple of good games during the finals. Here's another situation. Welch is out. Louis gets named. A lot of people go, oh, that's a big loss. Um, every time he's questioned or he's got to step up to the plate, he more than does his job. And I'm sure, as they did in game one, it'll be a simple role. He'll do his minutes. He'll get off the field. Yeah. So I have no doubt between him and friend, that's somewhere you want to go early just because of the emotions. But yeah, him, Tino, Papali, we need to do a better job getting in the middle this time. We, we did not do a good enough job. And that come back to not holding the football. Yeah. We needed to do a better job holding the football to try and tire out that middle and get it someone like a friend who can also be a bit vulnerable, but... Yeah, this left-hand side, it has to come to life, but they've got a hell of a task on their hands this time around. DCE is one of the better defensive halves. Sewer now tightens up that edge. Gago and Coates did a pretty good job together. So, um, yeah, I really hope they sort things out this week and Cody Walker can get things, you know, a bit more straighten direct up, and yeah. get us playing straight and actually go there when we've got an opportunity to go there, not force the football down that edge, not finesse it side to side. And to, to you don't get more points to, for more passes. That's nah. New South Wales really need to get that through their head. We've got to do better through the middle. We really do. Uh, other thing as well, probably for me, yardage. We were okay, but we didn't really link up. We didn't get out of the corners. We got trapped a few times on the set starts. We, I thought we really started to get out of our own head. Yeah, we lacked patience, and we didn't really yardage. get a whole lot of support. We didn't do a lot for each other in yardage. Nah, and we didn't try to shift out of trouble. We just kept tailing it in, one out, and getting bashed. Just sometimes just one of the wingers to run a lead off the dummy half, get two or three wide, try and get outside where they're thick and they're trying to tee off. Like There was just some really simple things you looked at and thought, I know blokes have coming off benders and Mad Monday and a couple of weeks off and whatnot, but at times some of it felt like troll for you. Well, the, Honestly. You talk about the biggest player of the game and the, the changer was Tupo throwing that ball on the ground. Yeah. And the Bender King picked it up. Munster picks it up and scores. <laughs> yeah, the Bender King but ran it's just, away. Again, lack of patience, no push. We are sloppy. Yeah. So there's a lot of things like we said. But I think probably the biggest one, do what they did to us. Origin is the simple stuff. 
It literally is the simple stuff. They, second half, just kicked us to death, turned us around, pinned us, and slowly chewed their way into our half until we fucked up. We need to be comfortable being uncomfortable. We need to be patient. We need to hold the football, turn them around, let Nathan kick, get a good chase on the back of it, and do exactly what they did to us, and just pin them in their own half. Yeah. And we will get multiple opportunities, just like they got off us. But if we throw the ball at our ass, offload play two and three, have that arrogance again, and just disrespect the football, we'll get beaten again. I honestly think... Yeah, I, if, I if totally we do, agree. If we play... Similar and think we can finesse the football and not do the dirty work, not get out of yardage, not kick chase, not set start well and not kill their set starts, we will lose again. Honestly. No doubt. Um, yeah, there was no... like The one time of the game again after that period where we got turned around and cycled, we got, I think it was a six again, a repeat set, then we scored. It's the first time we built any sort of sustained back-to-back pressure and that's all it took. The yeah. first few tries, similar deal. Rolled downfield, Got up the guts, cut them up a few times, got a six again, scored a try. We did it two or three times throughout the whole 80 minutes, and we scored three times. It's not that hard. Mm. And you'd expect the rep team to be able to pull that together. You really would. You would, yeah. The pressure's on. Uh, We did this last year, went into game two after losing game one. They made seven changes, and they had a big result. And then, obviously, game three, we stole in an absolute nail-biter on full time. But this time around, we're going back to Queensland, and it's going to be... The biggest crowd out of the three, or well, the most yeah. packed, and it's the, going to be the loudest crowd out of the three. When's the last time we won a decider up there? Well, we've been for a couple of them, and they didn't end too well. No, they didn't. They were absolute bloodbaths. The best part of our trips for those games for Queensland was not the football. It was the Caxton. <laughs> that was the best part of those trips, not the games of footy, because mm. we got absolutely embarrassed. But, uh, yeah, I don't know if I have a lot more to say on them, but, yeah, I think we're better off as far as our middles change things up a bit more, certainly get a bit more impact off the bench, lessen those minutes like you said out of those props, get more out of them, just play straight. Work the middle first. I don't, it worked for us the last two years. All those good results came off just hammering the middle of the field. Tedesco, yeah. Cook, let Cody play off the back of that. Hand the steering wheel to Cleary, let him what he do what he does at club football, he will be the Reynolds to Cody Walker. Simple as that. And those two centres, obviously, one-on-one need to be better, but I think Crichton will give a little bit more support uh, on the left-hand side this time for Jack. And on the right, Gufson. It's just more the simple stuff. Yeah, he didn't miss a lot of tackles, and that one was critical. Got to be better on the carries. Got to be better with his stick. Got to be better winning tackles. You can't be standing up in origin, barely holding onto the football, getting shaken, not dominant. Like, you got to win your rucks. you got to win your carries. you got to get quick play the balls. So they've put them both in there again. I guess the question is, or well, we already know, if game three, we don't, if we don't win this game three, they're definitely... Throwing caution to win, and you're naming all those kids. Or you're throwing anyone else in, I guess it's not played again. But if they win, but they're still a bit shaky, would they make changes for game three, taking debutants up there? Because I think at this point, the chips are all in. They're not going to change. Yep. That's my opinion. Uh, Queensland, honestly, don't see a whole lot changing. I think Wayne Bennett would have went out of that and said, what we did in the second half is what we should have done in the first. And he told him. I guess at half time to simplify things and it, and it worked for them. They probably don't have the star power they did have before, but they're tough. They're gritty. Uh, they're definitely going to be better on the edges like we talked about. Munster's combination now with Felice, he'll just run or play short. Gagai, any early ball, if they get a roll on like they did last time, he'll definitely be confident again. Sewer is just a jackknife. 
Terry Evans is probably the only one I'm looking at. I don't know he got man of the match. I don't know how. Uh, I thought he was good, but I definitely don't think he was the best player. Think he, no, I don't think so either. He's no. got to chip in with the kicking. Cause well, I thought Gagai Munster, was the best player on the field. Well, Gagai, I thought Catewell's job was exceptional. I thought <laughs> Munster was pretty good. I thought even Tino stepped in the middle. Him and Papali at the start. But out of the two halves, if, if you're going to say one of them, I definitely thought Munster was better than Cherry Evans. Mm. But yeah, Gagai was exceptional. Um, Coates on debut, etc. But yeah, for them right here, similar again. Those middles, Tino Papali, they'll be looking to get second phase, roll early. Get moving. Dunamis Louis, he'll do his job. Plug away. Munster and Felice, he'll run first, or if not, play short. If Kate was out and they've got that left-hand edge, I've got no doubt they'll probably limit the amount of times they shift the ball unless they find space. The right-hand side, Gagai's probably the go-to. Holmes probably just popping up through the middle. You won't see him as much on those sweet plays or trying to ball play as much. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'd guess. Or a supporter pushing up the guts, yeah, trying to get off the back. It, like you said, they've definitely improved themselves in yardage. He brings a better carry, which will help out in the situation of helping Coates. Gagai obviously gets in there. Um, and if Edric's on debut, if they do end up going that way and having Catewell out and having Sammy and Lee, that obviously strengthens that side of the game. Yeah, I, I, I honestly don't see a lot complicated what they do. I see the same thing again mm. work hard, punch the middle, kick. Low errors. I mean, we spoke about before. Like, we honestly thought it was going to be a bit of a scoreline and they need to do those simple things right, but they did. They completed high. They kicked well. They worked their way through the middle. Uh, anytime they got a little bit of space, they played to it. And Gagai in particular was the one that really opened things up. Yeah. Like, they they didn't need to do a lot to bust us up. No. We, we certainly Straight, helped. offload, error, field position. Not... Uh, making tackles on your inside shoulder, a lot of fundamental things that, you know, New South Wales would be really disappointed in their performance, rightfully so, but, you know, I expect us to improve. But I think Queensland, you know, what Wayne Bennett, I thought, gave them and the the greatest gift him and Mal and that experienced coaching staff was always going to give them was uh, just confidence. And, And they came out in that second half and they looked confident in the plan that they had to try and win the game. And New South Wales had to fall over, obviously, but um, Queensland were just there. They were, they were never going to go away. They're not going to go away on this occasion. The short turnaround is going to make it difficult as well. Uh, and then, as you said, if, we can, if we're good enough to force a decider, then it's up in Queensland. So it's, it's not an easy path ahead for New South Wales. No. And we always sort of say, like, whoever wins that neutral game usually wins the series. So I think the ball is right in Queensland's court at the moment. Well, that's it. They get two bites of the cherry now. The pressure's all on New South Wales. And yeah, the one they thing know is they've got their home game. Winning this one, come but up. then you need to be injury-free. We've got a shorter turnaround than ever, and it's probably more invaluable than ever that they're going to be playing in Queensland if it's a disorder yeah. on the short turnaround. There's no preparation. Straight back into it. That's exactly uh, right. And again, I honestly think they they got better. Sewer in on the right, Felice in on the left, club combinations. The only one is the Brimson one, which he's not coming back, unfortunately. 
Um, and if they went with Allen or him, I think they would have got similar kind of thing. They get a better, bigger body, better yardage carry. Val's probably a little more direct, pushing up the guts. Allen probably would have been brought a little bit more as far as shapes and playing at the edge, but they didn't do a whole lot of that in game one. They really didn't. They didn't run complicated shapes. They played the middle. They worked it over. They kicked well. They banked on all the simple things, and they're going to do it again. So, yeah, the bench, Collins, Arrow, Moeyaki will be great for them. Hunt bringing his little two cents and a bit of a change up in tempo in the middle. Uh, it's Yeah, it's definitely not a complicated game plan for Queensland. And it's not a bad little bridge, I guess, building towards the future out of this season, how it's worked out for them. No way in the They've world. They've blooded a lot of guys. They've got a couple of guys in early. They've got confidence from winning that one game one. Imagine how someone like Xavier Coates felt. Like, he's touted all through the juniors. Obviously, his club football this year is affected in a result where they go 1-17, and then you win an origin game on debut and score a try. That would have done a world of good for somebody like him. No doubt. And then next year they get back six or seven guys for health reasons and they have all these other guys who get this experience. So when they go back into the normal situation, um, it's done them a real solid, this camp. It's done them a real solid. There's no doubt about that. But again, being completely honest and set it for game one, they have to complete high. They have to do those little things well to have a chance to win. And they did so and they deserve it well. If New South Wales aren't taking the piss and things go right, there is more strike power. On that side of the ball. Yeah, no but doubt. But like you said, can they do those three things well? Are they willing to get into the cycle? Are they willing to be disciplined, hold the ball? My answer, they respond in New South Wales. But the question is, with the short turnaround this year, like we said, throwing up enough challenges, can they win in Queensland? That's the real question. Yeah, that's exactly. And also, again... We short, just need to, need to get this job done first. Short turnaround, if, if it is the case, who's available? How many changes do we have, you know? It's, it's already been yeah. a very messy situation. But predictions now, I guess. Uh, what do you reckon? I, I've got New South Wales by eight. I think it'll be close. Again, just because I don't think they're going to go any freebies after what we saw effort-wise in game one. I'm putting a bit on Tedesco here. He's taken the captaincy. It was an okay finish to the back end of the year. I know he might be hampered by that injury, but I think the sense of occasion, being back here, needing to win, I'm going the double. I'm going him to score the first try and be man of the match. Who was it? Tedesco. Tedesco. So what are we what are we picking? Same as New South Wales or Queensland by first try score at man of the match. I'll go New South Wales by twelve. Yep. First try score I'll go Tupo. I think I went Tupo game one. And what was the other one? Man of the match. Yep. Uh, I'll go Cleary. I went there game one. Wasn't the greatest result, but I think similar to you, game two. Uh, should be a better occasion for him. But yeah, Tedesco for the first time with that C next to him. Uh, not that that means a lot to a lot of people. It doesn't change the way they play their football, but uh, a bit more responsibility. Cordon being out definitely needs to step up. But surprisingly, uh, the bookies, they're confident. Again, New South Wales, $1.33. three sixty for Queensland. Again, if you think they're going to do a similar job and, and do the small things right and make it close, the line's nine and a half. If I, I'd take that now, but if that got to ten and a half at a $2, I'd be even happier. That's, uh, yeah, after game one, that's a bit crazy. 1 to 12, New South Wales, 270. 13 plus, 220. Queensland, 1 to 12, 430. Or 13 plus is 10.50. What are we talking about? First try scorers, Addo Carr, 750. 8.50 for your man, Tupo. $9 for me for Tedesco. Coates on the other side, 13 bucks. Uh, Semi, Whiten, and Cody Walker, all 13. Holmes, 14. Gutherson, 15. 16 for Gagai, a bit of value. 
Back rows are our picks at times. Crichton, 21 bucks. Rizal, 23. Felice, 26. And Sua, 34. So, bit there. Middle crash over. Big Tino, 34 bucks. He doesn't mind a meat pie. Papali, 34. He almost crashed in for the first one in game one. Went very close. So, there's a little bit of value there. As far as first, I think any time try scorers are generally you go for a couple of those big boys, especially with the new rules. There's opportunities, abundance. Tedesco, heavy favourite for man of the match. He's $6. Cody Walker in his return, $7.750. For Cleary, $7.50. For Cook, New South Wales leading all those markets. The, the shortest Queenslander is Munster at $11 in DCE. Gold. So, yeah. I don't know about value picks if you wanted to go someone for a man of the match performance in one of those other roles, but, yeah, that's what things are looking like. Mm, it's interesting. It's, it's just one of those games now I, I want to – I really think I'm okay with the predictions I made in game one, but I expected New South Wales to make some changes, and they haven't. Well, they have, but not probably where you thought they would. No, not they've got sort two of the changes that I would make. They've is probably changed what I the pack, say. they've changed the halves, but yeah, mm. those two spots you were mainly. And now, yeah, I really don't know. They've sort of doubled down on the pick mm. and basically saying that we don't think that's the problem. We think it was other things, so okay. we're going to find out. Mm. We're definitely going to find out. But just because you win or lose doesn't mean that it's not a problem. No, I'm not disagreeing with you. Know, you, you can't base everything off. Results. It's performance. That's it. I'm with you 100%. Uh, before we finish up and have a look at some quick NRL news before we go, move me in. As we've been chucking out the last few weeks, if you are looking to save some cash on your electricity and gas... Move me in, arc it up and spark it up. Grow a brain, check it for two seconds for your team. You could save money and put it in your back pocket. Laurie Daly for the team. But, yeah, honestly, I don't know the last time you checked it and how much you're paying for electricity and gas, but you'd be stupid not to, especially these times like we've talked about before. Save some cash, put as much back in your pocket, come up to Christmas, could make the difference between a, a couple of good presents or being in trouble with the cheese and kisses. Don't want any problem there. Yeah. Uh, through our new sponsor, Move Me In. Compare your current electricity and gas in less than two minutes. And again, no call centres, no unlocks being caught on those. I hate shit elevated music. I hate people telling me to hold, please, or they'll pass me on to somebody else. No, thanks. No. No. I want to talk to you. Answer my questions. Not only that, get free pizza if you do end up making a changeover. Mm. $45 for Domino's. You can get the nice New Yorker like we've talked about again. Big and cheesy. Delish. And uh, you get a couple of free coffees to a local participant cafe. Save hundreds of dollars on your bills and get some free pizza. Jump on. Click on the link. Uh, Chris, wherever you are out there. Fellow Titans fan of yours. Scalina. Good times. The Great Man. There you go. For everybody out there. Arc it up and spark it up. Get some new electricity. Get there. Get there. Save your bills. The answer is not a pineapple. It's getting on to move me in and fucking changing your bill. Simple. And speaking of saving yourself in cash and a good investment for the future, Penrith Solar Center. It's that time of year. Charge things up. Pump some back into the system, into your house. Arc it up and, uh, and spark it get up. Get some free electricity. Cut my bills and halves the last couple of years. Let the sun work for you and your back pocket. Contact the team today at Penrith Solar Centre. There is no one better. They say the best defence is offence, and the best way to do that for yourself and solar 
is to get on board with Western Sydney's leading solar specialist. You don't have control over your team's outcome, but the expert team at PSC, they're devoted to taking control of your power bills and giving you back control and cutting those bills down. Call them today on 1800 or www.penrosolar.com to see how they can make you the real winner this season. Just some NRL stuff, Brock, to run through uh, before we finish off. Blake Green, it's been announced today, that deal with the Bulldogs is off. He's going to coach, isn't he? Staying at Newcastle. I think they've got a view to him potentially playing. Uh, but the plan is basically, yes, he's going to move into coaching after the end of this year. Mm. So they'll see how the ACL pans out. Obviously, they liked um, having him there or what experience they've had of him. O'Brien, I'm sure, would have had some experience with him his time at Melbourne when he was still there. Clearly thinks he's a sharp mind and something that's going to be helpful in the next 12 months, whether it be on the field this year or moving forward off the field next year. In a similar role, they thought they had Jake Clifford from the North Queensland Cowboys, but jumping over to them, uh, with Peyton now there at the helm, he's told the Cowboys basically no dice. And I'd never understand why clubs make decisions when the new coach isn't there. Why are you dictating player moves when you've just hired a new coach? How about you talk to him first? Mm. There's two moves of two guys that they were basically saying they were free to go that he's now told, no, stay. And I don't blame him, uh, given the situation and coming into a new gig and off a COVID year with not a lot of a movement. Esan Masters and Jake Clifford are both staying put under Peyton. Mm-hmm. To see how things go for the next 12 months. There was talk that Benji Marshall was looking like he was going to be heading up there, but that is now gone cold. Cronulla potentially having a bit of interest with Johnson being out for an extended period. And I think now that Blake Green's probably pulled out of the Bulldog situation and wanted a veteran there and his brother being there, it's probably not a bad idea for the Bulldogs to look at for 12 months. True. Just given the situation. The funny thing for me is he said on TV, it's not about money, this, that, and the other, but the talk is for the Cowboys and a few of them that it has been about money. So you either want to play or you don't want to play. That's true. And when they say he's got options in the media and that, well, if that's the case and you... It's about money. Well, then fucking stop. Sure. Have to go to the media. If you want to keep playing, keep playing. Yeah. You can't be haggling at this point in time over thirty thousand, forty thousand bucks. No. You either want to play or you don't. It's pretty simple. But no arguments. For the Bulldogs, yeah, I think for Barrett, young group, lots of change. Um, Green not being there. If you think he can add some value at the right price and he wants to stay in Sydney, it's probably not a bad move to consider. Uh, the James Robinson situation this week, as everyone's heard now. Frees up a bit of salary cap space that's desperately needed by South. Corey Allen still given an opportunity to look elsewhere for 2021. A big extension. Apparently, he's on the way for the Terrell Mitchell, close to 800000 850000 for three years, which I'm still a bit surprised about. I know we saw some glimpses of the good near the back end, but I'm not that confident that I'd be willing to invest that heavily, um, close to 850000 for three years. But uh, I guess, like we've said before, send uh, thoughts out for James Robertson. Hopefully, he gets himself right. Because this situation is not off-field related or that or this, that, and the other. They got him there with a one-strike policy, paid him good money. But, yeah, he's definitely having some issues. They've, they've tried to help him out. They're going to continue to help him out moving forward. And sometimes getting yourself straight and sorting your life out is a lot more important than rugby league. So um, he's been mutually released and he, he's moved on and, and hopefully things work out for him. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. On that one, Gagai's name's popped up again as well. There's been talk the last two years about the size of the contract and him moving on. His form this year was okay, and in particular, Origin always pops up and uh, he plays quite good, but there's talk that his name's floating around a lot of clubs again as well. So very interesting with the fact that they're a bit top-heavy and they've signed a couple of guys. They've got Arrow coming on big money. Reynolds is on big money. Cody, Cook, Latrell's about to get paid. Uh, you know, There's a couple of guys sort of on middle money, but... You've got to have some casualties. 
when you're having this kind well, of situation. Well, that's the thing, isn't so it? Yeah. When you've got Burns still signed up and they've had Masters and a couple of guys push in, they've signed Campbell Graham, Johnston and up staying for less. You've got Allen, who's going to need a deal in 12 months' time. Gagai, who's already on big money. Yeah, we already know that Roberts is out the door and they're giving Allen the opportunity to explore his options because he's on pittance at the moment, but he's obviously not going to be in probably 12 months' time. But mm. uh, it's it's very interesting to see all these names floating around out of South and their outside backs. And they've also, I think I saw today, their roster moves for the back end of the season. They end up letting seven players go, I think. So they've got some spots to fill as well. Yeah, wow. Well. So if you're going to be a bit top-heavy or pay again on the trail and get there, you're going to have to find some value either in your kids or you're going to have to find it out on the open market or try and milk a little bit more out of a few guys like they did this year with their bench. It's uh, interesting to see how that plays out on the South Sydney side of things. Uh, we've already kind of talked about the corner situation. I guess the more part I wrote this down for was the talk today that if he did have that time off, getting cap dispensation, if he had 12 months off, do you think that's fair, given the circumstances? Or No, I think it's fair. Like other clubs, if they were kicking up a stink, saying, okay, so how come they get to hold on to said player for 12 months if he's on six, 700,000 and then potentially sign somebody else at the same time if he moves on? Like, But they're entitled to have... You know, Someone playing his in his spot. Yeah. So, in my opinion, anyway, that was one that was kind of brought up. You know, treating it like you know when someone gets a long term injury on international duty and they get their dispensation, would they be granted a similar situation if Boyd Cordner and doctors and them come to the conclusion that six to twelve months or the year off was the best course moving forward for the Roosters? Mm. So, yeah, interested about that. I'd I find have, it hard to believe that he'd come back after a year. That's what I kind of find. Really? I think if you had 12 months off, you'd need to be absolutely fanging at the bit or burning and be 100% cleared and good to go. But it's always hard to come back after 12 months. Of course it is. So, yeah, you'd, you'd have to consider that side. For them, some signing news. Both the Morrises and Jake Friend are locked up for one more year. I don't blame them on any front. We talked about the Friend one and not wanting to invest probably too long term. But I guess after both the hookers have an injury this year, it wasn't ideal, but... They also pushed up the development of Freddie Lassick. Um, you got Verrills on the return. you got Radley for a bit of cover there. Friend's been good, but also been injury-prone as well, so you don't want to go out too hard, I guess. And both the Morrises just posed a really good cap situation for them. Mm. They've got them both on reasonable deals. They did a hell of a job when they are on the field, and uh, just good business. Yeah, 100%. They're looking at Adam Kieran also, who was discarded by the Warriors, spent some time playing for the Panthers and his junior background, as I spoke about before he moved to Panthers and the Bulldogs, was an Australian schoolboy half, played six, showing that he can play centre, fullback, few spots. Not many opportunities over at the Warriors, but the Roosters are potentially looking to bring him into their system. And I bring up this for most people when somebody goes into there who's got that sort of pedigree. He's a good footballer. He really is. But you put him in that situation with that coach, those players, I guarantee he plays better than what he did in his limited opportunities at the Warriors. So... Yeah, well, he, he he started well at Penrith, didn't he? Before he moved over there. Well, I think similar again. Maloney, Cleary. And that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So limited opportunity, went over there, and New he Zealand. didn't really get a crack He there, got one he? game, basically. played very well, scored and on debut, got, and then got flicked a week later. Got iced, yeah. But the pedigree's there. Was he a result of the Cody Nicarima? Was that uh, sort of around that time? I think, I think yeah, he got a been. couple of weeks, and then, yeah, he came over. You know, got Chanel Tavita Harris pushing through as well, but... Honestly, it's guys like these at this age at 22, 23 that when they end up with a guy like Robinson or a Bellamy or at a club with those those kind of players that can elevate him, you'll really find out what he's made of. That's fair. But it wouldn't surprise me in 12 months' time 
if they have moved on from Flanagan, if they're not happy with Lamb, Kieran's in the mix, Sam Walker's not ready to go, if we saw someone like Adam Kieran plug in there and just do a job, and you'll be impressed by the way he plays. Yeah. It really wouldn't surprise me. Players that go to those clubs generally find their best football. Jack Bird, speaking of players needing to find their best football in a new situation, he's gone back to where it all started, the Dragons. It's a done deal. The Broncos finally get some cat relief, but they're going to be chipping in a fair whack of it for next year. The year after that, I'm pretty sure, is all on the Dragons, but it wouldn't be to anywhere near the value, which is close to a million dollars this season. Mm. So after three years, ACLs, sternum injuries, I think he's only played like seven, 15 to 20 games total in three seasons. He's moved on. I guess the real question, where does he play? They still haven't resolved the Jack DeBellin situation. He's in court right now. Could they play him as a lock? Would they look at playing him in the centres? Uh, that's probably the only real question. You bring him back someone... It depends on how he comes back and his fitness. Like, I don't all think the chat was he was going to play fullback at Brisbane. Wow. What sort of money are they talking? Well, this year I think it was they, they got closer to more a half and half sort of split. So Brisbane initially, I think, were balking at paying any more than, say, 200. And I think the Dragons were more at the point like you're, you're the ones who have given him up close to a million bucks. So you're going to have to chip in a bit if you want to get rid of him for this year. Brisbane were desperate for any sort of cap space. So I think in the end, it's yeah. landed closer to them paying almost four hundred, and the Dragons paying say five hundred, which so, is which is still a good result for Brisbane. Free roll of the dice for both, I guess. Yeah. They get a bit of cap uh, space they definitely need, and the Dragons are trying to pick up but someone. When we're talking about position, that that's probably assuming he's going to string six to eight games together. Well, that, then the then you're going to get an idea on what position he can play. I think the biggest thing for Bird is just to get out there and stay fit. Well, I don't think he's... I think I read today he's not ready to go until almost January. Well, there you go. So yeah. he's already a little bit behind the eight ball. I just think it's crazy when I read that they'll potentially think about playing him as a lock. In the new style of game, forget the defensive workload or whatever, but playing in the middle after what he's gone through to go straight back out there and play lock, I, I just can't see it. I, I look at centre and think they've definitely found a centre in Lomax, but the left-hand side of the field... Is not there's no answer yet. They yeah. had Lafayette move on. They played a couple of different guys there. I'm well, more seeing realistically. That's I think his first month of footy would have to be off the bench. If it was going to be somewhere, yeah, yeah. One, he's not going to take that job off Dufty. The half situation, they'll start off with Hunt and Norman. If they don't head well, that it, way, it also depends on what style of fullback Griffin wants. Mm. You know, does he want a bigger body? Is he keen on Dufty? We we don't really know. Yeah, we definitely don't know. But yeah, there's some competition in a few of the spots. He likes playing six. You think he's going to go with Hunt and Norman? He had him at Brisbane. They've also got Sullivan, who played at the back end of the year as an up and comer. Clooney did a job at seven, so they've got some options. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess that's one we'll have to wait and see. But for Brisbane, there's still no out of the hole though. We talked about before, and they, these are the same problems they're complaining about now that everyone put on Seabold that were left there by Wayne Bennett that Kevin Wilder's going to have to deal with. McCulloch's back there off his injury, $600,000. They can't move him on. Mm. And Matt Lodge is the big one that was talked about. And we we predicted this months ago. His father-in-law is Peter O'Sullivan, who's at the Warriors. And no surprise, the first team that was linked to Matt Lodge was the Warriors. Yeah. So it may happen. It may not happen. But if he goes anywhere, I'm putting the house on it that it's going to New Zealand. His son, Sean O'Sullivan, just signed for the Warriors. And Peter's over there. Mm. So I think if Lodge is pushed out of the club... He will have a place to go. And I'm pretty sure they've got one spot left in their top 30 right now. Yeah. So keep your eye on that one. But if Lodge is going anywhere to me, he'll be, uh, he'll be going to Nathan Brown and Peter O'Sullivan are pretty close as well, aren't they? Yep. Mm. So I would have no doubt in my mind if he's released, that's where he's going. The McCulloch one, 
I, I don't I don't see what you can do. He he looked okay in the few games he played, but coming off another major injury for a guy who's got a lot of kilometers on his body and injuries the last few years, six hundred thousand dollars. You might take him for half that if you needed a nine, but you're looking around who, who needs a nine right now. There's only one that springs to mind instantly who tried to plug a gap last year with Levi, and that's Manly. Yeah, look, if I'm uh, Brisbane, I'm not paying McCulloch to pay, uh, play somewhere else. No. Nah, He's no. on my roster for this year. Is this his last year of the contract? Yeah. Yeah, I just write it out. And I guess the bigger issue as well for them is they want to be a service nine. They want to have confidence in Turpin, but Turpin's been injured on and off for the last two yeah. years as well, so they're not exactly flush. Yeah, look, if Turpin's there going well and playing better, then you can pick Turpin. You probably could. But you want... You want the depth. That was the one thing that really came back to hurt Seabold this year mm. when he let him go and then and Turpin later, really didn't play a game after that. So yeah. that really hurt the Broncos. I'll also be interested to see if they persist with Pakes at nine, seeing as he come through as a junior rep half. Yeah. So we don't know if that's going to be continued, if they've got someone else. I'm pretty sure Isaac Luke was moved on as well. So, yeah, it's it's not ideal, the pay packet, but... I think with Turpin's track record of health, if McCulloch's healthy and ready to go, you may not like the contract value, but you need somebody there. Yeah. Um, unless they're going to get someone in the market. Unless, of course, the name that is obviously now a free agent is Cameron Smith. So Titans, Broncos, it seems he's definitely not going back to Melbourne if he's offers a free agent. There's no discussion. There's been no talk about it at all, but uh, I'm sure the Titans and the Broncos would both be sniffing around that if they had an opportunity. Oh. Yeah. Difference is, I think the Titans are prepared for it money-wise. I'd, I'd be Brisbane, happy to let um, Smith go to Brisbane and I'd make a play for Grant. That'd be my pitch as a Titans fan. I I don't want Smith. Well, I think if Smith was out, he'll Grant would be more than likely definitely locked up at Melbourne. But Well, I'd go for whichever one ends up leaving. See what happens there. But yeah, the Cameron Smith situation, still no news, but officially no contract, a free agent. Completely not tied up at all. Mm. So we'll hear something sooner or later. But I have a feeling that one, if he was to become available, those two clubs, they're, they're the two there. I think the Titans no are in the box seat. But Brisbane, if they can move some money and that came up, I have no doubt Ken Wilders would try and throw the kitchen sink to get him over there. Mm. That would be a lot of help uh, in the situation they're currently in right now. And speaking of Melbourne, link to Matt Burton. Talked to him this week. Jerome Hughes, manager. Did what all wanky managers do on grand final week and come out and said there's a lot of interest in his player. Good work. Chris Hall, make it about you. Not leave it to the team to focus on the job. Full credit to Jerome. Did his job, was outstanding in the grand final. But the talk is big offers, and in particular the Warriors, we know that they love buying Kiwi natives. They're talking close to $700,000, $800,000 potentially to move there in 12 months' time. And I dare say, as a Melbourne fan, I love Jerome Hughes, but I'm not paying him $700,000 no. as a halfback. Nope. So whether it be Pezzett in 18 months or Noah Griffiths or someone else, they end up plugging in because they seem to do that so well. Um, yeah, I love Jerome Hughes, but I don't love Jerome Hughes for $700,000. Mm. No, neither do I. But So, yeah, I, I don't blame them. To also, be... I guess depends if Smith plays. And that's Yeah, that's another one again. But I, I like Jerome. Jerome might develop more in the next 12 months. I'm sure they won't be jumping the gun, but if if that's the price tag that's going to Melbourne, I don't think Melbourne are offering him that money. Mm. I really don't. And if, like we said again the other week, everyone's saying Burton, Barrett, rah, rah, rah. Unless he absolutely loves Barrett and he thinks that's the best thing in his career, I'm sure there's going to be more clubs interested. I'm sure if Brisbane don't like Brody Croft and Every have free money in 12 months, they're yeah. going to be interested. Every I'm club sure will be interested. If the Eels don't like Moses in the next six week, first six weeks of the season, they're going to be in. 
I'm sure Melbourne, like we said, Hughes is definitely on the market and going for a big price again. There's going to be more clubs than the Bulldogs that are interested in Matt Burton yeah. unless they can get that done ASAP, which it looks like we said. For all money, we know Penrith are doing everything they can to not let him leave, sign elsewhere, trying to play him as a centre or anything. So interesting development there at Melbourne. Mm. And we'll see how that one plays out. And speaking of uh, Penrith news, things were going quite smoothly with a bit of the, the re-signing, but the Crichton one has been held up. Now he's changed of managers, so can feel a bit of the old uh, similar narrative happening here. New manager, new price tag, a bit of a renegotiation. There was talk they basically agreed to four years, a little bit less than half a million, somewhere around mid-season, but everything's uh, getting hold up now. Mm. We all know what new managers do. Grand final, origin yeah. squad. You, you can have no doubt in your mind that there's going to be a bit of a renegotiation. Yeah. So, the answer's a pineapple. Yeah. On player managers. Yeah. And then Mansour's situation. He obviously came out and expressed a bit of disappointment and anger in the fact that two days after the grand final at a cafe being told that he wasn't part of the plans and not how he ideally wanted to find out. Who told him? Did it say? Ah, uh, I... The original article, I thought, said he spoke to Matt Cameron and Ivan, but, yeah, the whole cafe thing, I'm not too sure. Faro's apparently been tapped on the shoulder as well, too, that we both touted. But I guess the thing here is whether you love him or you don't love him, and we've said this before, this is why you can't be angry at players when they sign big deals or vice versa when the club goes the other way. It's a harsh business, but if you... This is where, like, a trade system comes in. Yeah. I think he'll definitely get picked up. You don't want to move him, you... Yeah, there should be a mechanism to do that without having to go through this process. Yeah. This is the old classic what we spoke about, though. This is accelerated success, puts pressure on your salary cap. So they've made the grand final. They've had a bunch good of guys. Devel- good development puts oh, pressure on your salary cap. But they've broken into the grand final year one uh, of blooding a bunch of kids and having eight more guys pushing last year and cleaning out the roster. And before you know it, you've got to make some decisions. So. Mm. The clear ones they're looking at here, Farre's 30-31, multiple injuries on okay money, and you've got a bunch of kids pushing up behind, and then you've got Mansour, who, yes, he had a good year. Big part of that, obviously, comes from what was playing inside him. Yeah. But you're trying to re-sign multiple guys who are 20, 21, 22, and you've got more coming through the pipeline, and you've got a 30-year-old winger who's come off an ACL, a facial fracture, and probably not playing the best football the couple of years prior. Yeah. So you've got to prioritise your salary cap, and unfortunately... Sometimes you just have well, to Well, when be... you can get a player that's as good for less money, that's salary cap 101. Yeah, but it's also a long-term decision. And younger, yeah. His, his ceiling is, is dropping, and they've got guys with, you know, like you said, less cost, higher ceiling, and better for their long-term <laughs> opportunity while this window is open. So this is what happens when, you, like you said, good development, good results, Yeah, unfortunately. It, football is a prick of a game. Does he deserve that? Do fans get disappointed because he's been there for so long? 100%, but understand... Do you want long-term success or would you rather Mansour play for you for another year or two and let, say, Crichton go or they let Staines yeah. go and he turns into a gun elsewhere? It's no guarantee that happens, but these are the moves that have to be made in shaping rosters or making decisions for the future and you just got to hope that they're getting them right. And Tarmel was one of them. Mansour seems to be next and Faro, again, will be one of the guys on that list as well. Yeah. So this is naturally what happens. Sometimes some of your favourites get pushed out when the pressure hits. So... Yeah, talk of a few clubs, Tigers, Eels, potentially Dogs. Uh, I'm sure they end up somewhere. But notably, after nine or so years at the club, not happy about the situation, but yeah, it's a rough old game, footy. Well, he's in a good coin. Yeah, no doubt about that. Eels, 
We said they cleaned house. They've just added another couple. Nathaniel Roach on that development deal, the hooker from New Zealand. Very, very good in the few games he has played, but very injury-prone. Michael Oldfield, he's racking up a Tyron Smith level of jerseys. He's now Ben Manley. Roosters, South, I think. Now Para. He's getting quite the collection. He is. So he's a lot of emblems. One year. Keegan Hipgrave from your mob. There was only talk a few days ago. They weren't sure what was happening. He signed two years, but the second year is a club option at Parramatta, and they've extended Will Smith by a year. Keegan Hipgrave to Parramatta. So he's gone there. Interesting. Uh, the moves they've made so far, I don't mind, to be honest, in reshaping a bit of the depth or that to the roster. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's a pretty hefty clean-out and just a few more. To finish off here... No, I've already gone through those, so there you go. That's basically all the bits and pieces. We're starting to see a bit trickle through. It's, it's later than... November 1. It's a lot later than usual, just because of COVID the whole year. It's been a weird situation Good. for everybody. I don't want to hear about it but until now. Like, when it's off-season, then we do the off-season stuff. And also the rosters. There's a lot of guys, a lot of big releases. I think Canberra cleaned out seven. I think South released seven. Mm. As of today, Para, or we said the other week, was 10 or 11 players. I think Melbourne... Only had five or six the other day. Uh, they haven't had an announcement or said farewell in their post to Cameron Smith, and they've extended a few internally, upgraded one, and I think the only signing I've seen of theirs so far is they've signed George Jennings for two years. George So And Penrith, like we said last week, they moved straight away, had five or six out, got two back in for cheap labour. So um, I'm with you. I like it, the fact this is all kind of happening now. Yeah. You're starting to see things take shape happen. and move. So... Um, yeah, there you go. This is the second last podcast, so the next one will be the last one. Season reviews, everything done, unless we do an award no, show. the next one will be Origin 3 preview, brother. Why not? Or are you going to do all of them in the one? Well, we could do review preview. Oh, sorry, we got two more then, don't we? That's what I just said. There you go. My bad. It's Come on, mate. It's a bit late, so we've got two more to go. we got review preview, and then we'll do a review on the awards. And then we'll be done. That's us. Because we did our season reviews as we went. Yep. That was Daddy's idea, mate. There you go. Well, there you go. Review, preview of the Who would want to listen now, Ah, like in two weeks' time, to an NRL season review about something that ended six weeks ago? We would have done it grand final week, but everything's been compressed. Yeah, that's right. There's no point. It's a different structure, but here we are. Origin 2, series on the line. New South Wales, a couple of changes, but did they make the right changes? Are things going to pan out? I think we'll be going to a decider. I hope so. Um, but, yeah, fingers crossed that is the case. We want to see a cracker th- uh, three-game series. And for the Queenslanders, some forced changes, but if anything, probably strengthen them up defensively. If we get rolled, I might not watch the third game. Oof. Hurt locker. Nah, just the interest will just go out of it for me. Well, the ratings apparently were terrible for the first game. Mm-hmm. Maybe, I don't know if that's just because of the way the years panned out. it was the election, US election. Well, there's a fair bit of interest about that, even though, you know, we're, we're not over there. I'm was quite, in Adelaide? Quite surprised. Yeah. How crazy the interest in the US election is. I guess a lot of the world were waiting to see how the best. things were going to pan out, but. Yeah. There you go. Donald, yeah, he's been moved down. He's gone. He's gone. Joe's in. Sleepy Joe, yeah. Mm. Doesn't know what day of the week it is, but he's now the president of the United States. Mm. But I won't leave. Can't happen. Won't happen. It was rigged. It's an embarrassment. It's clear fraud. Yeah. <laughs> Done. See you, Don. Yep. He's out. Well, I don't know. You watch it more than I do. Is he still appealing everything? Is there still... 
yeah, it's, stuff going he's to court. Got some, he's got some case of cases of voter fraud, um, and they're talking about a software glitch that um, was used across 30 states where in one instance it gave took 6,000 votes away from Trump and then once they fixed it, it gave the 6,000 back. Uh, you know, there's the old... They let these votes in after the deadline and put them on the pile and they were counted as votes. And mm-hmm. But the, the the problem also is in the different jurisdictions, they have different rules around even post-it votes. Like in Georgia, for example, the mail-in votes had to be in by 7pm on the day of the election, whereas in Pennsylvania they were allowed to be to arrive close of business on Friday. So there's not a blanket rule across the nation. There's different rules for each state. So uh, I've, I've watched I watch US elections. I've watched them probably now for the last two or three pretty closely just because I like all that nerdy sort of shit and watching the vote and interested in US politics because I follow a lot of US sport as well. But... Um, I was really interested in this one because, and you know, I've I've upset a lot of people because I um, I just didn't buy into the Biden was going to get elected in a cakewalk, um, and people sort of took that as I I like Trump. It wasn't so much that I like Trump. It's just that I think there's a reason that a bigger reason why Trump got elected to start with in that they just. The Democrats just have shit candidates. Hillary Clinton, they threw Hillary Clinton up. Um, and I think voting Trump in was more a middle finger to putting Clinton up and, um, you know, that privileged, educated, I guess, demographic of US, the lower socioeconomic demographic gave the blue party the middle finger, I think, a little bit. Uh, and I just I couldn't see that reversing too much here, and I've well, been proven correct because he, you know, there's, it's come down to basically four states: Arizona, Georgia, Pennsylvania, um, and there's one other I can't think of off the top of my head. Wisconsin was it? Uh, no, Wisconsin went pretty pretty quickly. Um, yeah, it, it, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's, well, but uh, yeah, it's been following it pretty closely, and it's Brian been interesting. And Astro, two of the US listeners. I don't know whether you're on the red or blue oh, they side know, they know a lot void. more than I yeah. would. I, I just I find it really interesting and I enjoy it. Yeah, I've got no clue. I, I just um, find Trump I bet interesting. On, I bet on a few states. I had um, I lost a five-leg multi. I needed uh, Trump to win Georgia. I would have won um, 750 bucks. But I just find Trump interesting. He's given me four years of gold. I've quite enjoyed it. Yeah, but he's quite divisive. Oh, 100%. Um, and... I think it's good for good for America that he's out. I don't necessarily like Biden. Not that I don't like him personally. I just I just don't know whether he's the best possible candidate well, for that position. Is more my look, point. Looking at the vice president, I think uh, Kamala she, Harris. She's yeah. going to have a fair bit to do with everything. Well, looks at things. She looks pretty special. Essentially, I think that's why Biden's got in because well, they've got the the any any. Lack of confidence you have in Biden is made up through her. I think she's shredded him. They showed some things leading up to it or years prior where she was giving it to him. So I think that's half the reason they brought her on board as the vice president because she can make up for what he's probably lacking or all the lines like you said about calling him Sleepy Joe and not being uh, probably is with at this point in time. But yeah. 
There you go, everyone. We, we do US politics too. We're killing it. Absolutely oh, yeah. killing it. Talk about whatever. We're all over everything. Yeah. Okay, so the solution's a pineapple, but... <laughs> yeah, that's right. The solution is a pineapple. Shout out to Di Henwood, who sent that one through. Her, her old hoops chucking out the pineapple, but... Yeah, We've brother. got some closet famous people that want listen to this show. Di, good egg over there in New Zealand. Bro. He's on TV. He's good the egg. on TV. There you go. Like, that'll fucking do me. I've made it in life. He's a comedian. He's a funny bloke. A bloke that earns a lot more than me and he's a lot more popular than me. Listens to our show. And he's from another country. I so love when that shit pops up. The answer is a pineapple. He's the man. He's a long-term supporter too. So shout out. Oh, he's been around for forever. Since the start. Shout out. And hopefully the Warriors are as good as they were to finish this season for you next year. Because there's been some long-suffering years and to all the New Zealand fans out there. But we'll wrap things up. Two more podcasts to go. Uh, we'll be back. Preview. Game three. Review. Game two. And then our final podcast will be wrapping up. The Origin Series and doing our award show, and that'll be us for 2020. I was going to say... We'll, we fucking 2021 by the time we finish. We'll be on Mad Monday, but we won't be on Mad Monday. Football's about to start in coaching capacity. I've so started, mate. It's there's on. no Mad Monday. It's all over Red Rover. For now, everybody out there, best of luck to uh, all the Queensland fans, but hopefully it's a <laughs> lot. Best of luck. Hopefully it's a loss, and we'll Jam see you. Queensland. <laughs> Queensland for Game Jam 3. It. Cousin Gary, you're backwards Queensland, Cars. wherever you're out there. And uh, for all the Blues fans, fingers crossed we can put in a much better effort in game two and send this thing into a decider. But for now, enjoy your week and enjoy your rugby league. Bring it on. Give us more. Give us more. Where are you going? Where, what, 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 what's going on here? Is that it? Is that it? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.